This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Army is changing the way it handles sexual harassment investigations. It's not completely taking them out of the chain of command, as some critics had hoped. Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni has the latest. And Scott, exactly what is the Army doing? What the Army's doing is taking sexual harassment complaint investigations outside of the brigade where the harassment took place and appointing an investigating officer from another brigade to look into the matter. This is one of the 70 recommendations made by the Fort Hood Independent Review Committee, which uh, stated that sexual sexual harassment investigations need to be handled by an officer from a different brigade, uh, really that are trained to work closely with a legal advisor and conduct a complete investigation. And what they're hoping is to really avoid favoritism to avoid uh, people thinking, you know, this will make my brigade look bad if I'm, you know, if I I throw someone under the bus or whatever, you know. And so they're hoping that this will just make a completely objective uh, look into these sexual harassment investigations and not worry about any sort of repercussions that someone might think uh, a harassment uh, might might show in, in, that, in their own brigade. Almost like jury selection. You want to find people that are totally objective, don't have preconceived notions, I guess, maybe to make an analogy. Exactly. You know, it's, it's really just to find someone who has no interest uh, in, in this at all. All right. And uh, is the Army convinced this is going to help? And they did it because well, they were recommended, but do they think it will actually help? That's something that remains to be seen. You know, this is something that they're going to try. They've had a lot of sexual harassment experts and people within the military look into this issue. And, you know, one of the things that they bring up is that another option for this would be to completely take these uh, investigations outside of the chain of command and have an independent organization work on them. Now, that would take an act of Congress. And a lot of lawmakers are now really interested in doing this. It's been uh, championed really by uh, uh, Senator Gillibrand, who uh, has a couple of bills in that have tried to do this yearly, basically. But, you know, we recently have heard from senior research fellows at Yale who have said, you know, all commanders, really, none of them are attorneys. They're not equipped to make these kind of increasingly complex legal decisions that the military justice system requires. And so keeping it in the chain of command is doing a disservice to the soldiers and to you know the, the victims of this harassment as well. Um, you know, the, the people in the military say, on the other hand, that, you know, the commanders, it's a completely different sort of environment and they need to keep the uh, chain of command uh, solid. And so that's discipline and good order stay within the chain of command there. I guess I can see both sides. But just to make a distinction, we were talking about the investigations, the trials. If someone is found to be worthy of being accused of something, that is still done by the JAG Corps, correct? Well, it, it really depends, Tom, because within the chain of command, these commanders have an opportunity to not uh, you know, go- take this to court, to not actually uh, punish someone or to bring them into, uh, you know, to, to press charges, basically, on a certain soldier or, or service member. And that's really the difference. You know, someone can get a pass, someone can just get a internal punishment. And, you know, that's really the concern is that these investigations and these, um, you know, these charges are not always going to the, the full extent that they should. We're speaking with Federal News Network Scott Mossioni. And my other question is, when they have someone from another brigade look into these, what's their metric for that this is a success? A greater degree of punishments handed out per case? Or what is it they're trying to measure here? You know, that, that's a really good question. And I don't think that they've really said what that's going to be. Um, you know, they're they're really, I think, hoping for a better metric of fairness. And, and that's what is supposed to 
you know, come out of this is that there's a fair, uh, you know, look into the sexual harassment and what happened. And there's no favoritism, like we said before. So uh, I think the, the metric would be, you know, justice, however you can, um, you know, uh, decide to, to measure that, um, maybe get your scale out and a woman with a, a, a blindfold. But that's really the only way that you can you can do it. Yes, because you can measure there are 100 cases investigated every year only 10% of them result in any kind of punishment. I guess you could say, well, what happens when it's done the new way by another brigade? Maybe it goes up to 20%, or maybe it just stays the same, but at least you're confident you're using a better practice. Exactly, yeah, and I, I think that's that's what they want, is to, to kind of weed out some of this quote-unquote corruption, if you want to go so far as to say that, which is really just a, a, a take that you have a vested interest in your own brigade and, and that sort of thing. Sure. And you mentioned there's 70 recommendations. One of them was to take it out of the chain of command altogether. Any other options they're looking at for sexual assault investigations? Well, you know, some of them go into what your last question was, is, you know, creating a sexual assault review board that would establish specific and measurable goals and objectives for the the program to reduce sexual harassment and uh, assault. Another would be legal components. There's a pervasive mistrust of sharp the sharp process right now. So really just making a, a legal advisors and having them come and review the process, look into it and see if they can really just change it legally and uh, you know tr- training wise to help soldiers really trust the process a lot more. Um, examining staffing levels of special victim counsel units and things like that. You know, there's a lot of different, uh, like we said, there's 70 different recommendations. There's a lot that they can do here. Another one that the Army implemented is missing soldiers versus AWOL soldiers. So if a soldier is not showing up for, you know, their duty, uh, that soldier automatically becomes missing rather than AWOL. It's more toward looking after the soldier's uh, actual care and well-being rather than a disciplinary sort of action. And Scott, you've been following this whole issue across the military for some time now. There's another study out about sexual assault. What are the services that were looked at and what did that one find out? Yeah, the RAND Corporation's been doing really a, a series of sexual assault. And what they found is that sexual assault is really hurting readiness. They found that it's it's hurting people from staying in the, the military. They don't want to stay in after being assaulted, uh, obviously. And it's hurting a lot of the ways that uh, they can retain top talent. This newest study is uh, based on retaliation. They found that 54% of women who have been assaulted and report it through official channels are retaliated against either socially or in a uh, professional atmosphere. But even if you're not reporting it through official channels, they found that 17% who just told family and friends were also being retaliated against. So, you know, it's, you're kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of situation where a lot of these women who are assaulted are still getting retaliated against for something that wasn't their fault. Yeah, this is a slow burning issue that they can't quite seem to stamp out, even though it's maybe not a gigantic number, but it's persistent. And that seems to be the tough part about it. They can't quite stamp this out. Perhaps maybe one of the answers will be more and more women getting promoted, because if that woman you abused or that person can go both ways, I guess, in some cases, is suddenly an officer you're reporting to, you might have to say, uh-oh. Well, right now, the Defense Department's really looking into things, and they're not taking any options off the table. They have a commission on sexual assault that is led by one of the leaders uh, of, of the uh, Women Against Violence office from the White House. And uh, really, they've said that they are going to be listening to the victims and people who have had lived experiences to see how they can best stamp this out. This really decades-old problem. 
Federal News Network Scott Mossioni, thanks for that update. Thank you. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. We now bring you a special presentation from our friends at WEPA. Shane, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us about WEPA and your new podcast? Mike, great to see you again. The podcast series, Lessons in Leadership, what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader, all of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think, I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So what we're trying to do is, is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over two million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace, and they inspired other and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people, we have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee 
he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him. It inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as, as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. I've uh, led, this is my second uh, major organization that I've led. And I will tell you that we impart this feeling, uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service, this notion. We serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there. And <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.